Well, we do welcome our brother Donald Fleming with us this evening. We are very glad to have him here. Welcome here to Cross Gar. And we are looking forward to hearing our brother as he comes to bring a word of testimony tonight. And we're going to ask our brother to come at this stage and bring that word of testimony. Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you in Crossgar uh, for the first time. Uh, so it's nice to meet you. Thank you so much to Pastor Dan for the invitation to come along tonight and to, to tell you a little bit of what's been going on in my life uh, before and since the Lord met me. Well, as he already mentioned, uh, we work in Ukraine. We've served the Lord there for 22 years. And uh, you can imagine the shock to our hearts on the 24th of February this year when we woke up to find war. Uh, we had just returned home from Ukraine at that time. And uh, the Russian armies were all around the borders. We work in the northeast, so we weren't too far away uh, from the Russian border. Uh, you can imagine how we felt to see all these things happening just days after returning home. But because we, we had been there for so long, and we, we worked on the front line uh, of Kharkiv, you've probably heard it mentioned. Uh, we worked in Kharkov. Uh, we worked in the Donbass area. Uh, we had access to the Ukrainian army to minister, to preach the gospel uh, on the front line, because the war started eight years ago in 2014. It didn't start on the 24th of February. It started for real, you could say, uh, on the 24th. But it's been ongoing for the past eight years. <clears throat> and the Lord opened the door for us eight years ago to go to that area to minister to the Ukrainian army. So what a blessing it was to go in and to minister to them, to see young soldiers coming to faith in the Savior, being baptized in minus 25-degree temperatures, breaking the ice and baptizing them. Uh, you'd have to be serious about your faith, wouldn't you? And these people were taking a real stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, throughout our time there, we had, we had worked in the prisons over there for 21 years, uh, ministering alongside the brothers over there and the, the sisters there. And, you know, it was a very fruitful ministry. We also worked with the drug addicts and the alcoholics. Uh, we worked with the homeless. We, worked, we built a care home for the elderly. Uh, from the villages, the villages are very poor, so we built the care home there to bring the people in and to care for them and love them and look after them and just to win them for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Lord, in recent days, the last six or seven years, moved us to the villages of Ukraine where there was a great, great need, great poverty, uh, but, you know, a, a great desire for the gospel. And the, the Ministry of Faith in Action was a very fruitful ministry. Uh, we believed in the Word of God, getting the Word of God in everywhere where we worked. And when we left, that the Word of God was left behind. We were no longer there, but when they had a Bible, the Holy Spirit could minister to them. And we had a, we had a, a great ministry in Ukraine, a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And on the 24th of February, <clears throat> we just, my wife and I sat and we sort of thought, you know, there's 24 years of ministry just disappearing before our eyes. 
And the Lord says, no, he said, I'm just expanding it. And you know something, he wasn't joking. Uh, he was serious when he said that to us that morning. And ever since then, it's been non-stop ministry with still working with the frontline churches uh, in Ukraine. Uh, we're, we're getting the funds in. Because we know them, we've been there so long, we can get the finances into the people that we can trust because there's an awful lot of scammers over there and you have to be so careful where your finances go. But because we know the area, because we know the churches and the people and the pastors and the fellowships, we're able to get large amounts of funds in. And then that, in turn, is used to look after the people, the Christians and the non-believers who are hungry. Tonight, there is no electricity for over 10 million people. No electricity, no heating. It's coming to a chilly part of the, the year Soon the temperature will be minus 25, minus 30. So it's going to be very, very cold. So at the moment we're focusing on generators to give them light, to give them water. Uh, we're focusing on stoves to give them heat and so on. And at the same time as they help the people, they're preaching the gospel to them. It's amazing to see, you know, I was talking to pastor and your elders before I came in tonight. And it's difficult to get them to come to church in Northern Ireland today. The problem isn't like that in Ukraine. The problem is now that the buildings are too small. So many unsaved people realize that they need Jesus Christ in their life. Sometimes it takes problems before they realize it. Better to come to faith before the problems come. But these people now are packing the churches out in Ukraine the, the, the buildings are too small to hold them. And during the summer, they were just holding the open-air meetings for them with hundreds and hundreds of believers attending the meetings, knowing that Jesus Christ is their only hope. After years of being told this, now they actually believe it. So great things are happening today, even although there's a war taking place. Many souls are being saved. Many churches are taking a great stand for Christ in the midst of this war. I see the videos, not YouTube videos or anything off the media or the BBC, because the BBC don't want people to see this. But frontline from the believers that we work with, videos of the believers on their knees praying, crying out to the Lord, preaching the gospel in the dark. And you can hear the bombs dropping not too far away. You can hear the machine guns firing and the believers are still working. They're not giving up. They're still preaching the gospel. They're still reaching people and winning people. <clears throat> I remember just as the war started, uh, Mr. David Park, who you know well, uh, invited me up. I hadn't been going there for a few years, but he invited me to give an update on what was happening. So as I went into the fellowship and gave them a, a report, a PowerPoint presentation of what was happening, he said, is there anything that I can do? I said, you shouldn't have said that. I said, there's a lot that you can do because we're looking for a church that will stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and be counted for him. You know, it's okay coming in here and preaching the word and ministering to people, but sometimes we're called upon to take a stand for what we believe. And they took a stand for what they believed. They didn't just teach it, but they took a stand. They believed what they were teaching. And they, says, we, and they brought me to the new hall and they said, look, we have a hall here. We, we can use this to bring them in. I said, well, I'll be bringing them in. And today there was 41 
uh, believers brought in from the village that was bombed. Uh, we built a church there. The church is now in ruins. The, the new church that we put up has now been hit by a rocket, and there, there's nothing left of it. But the people were brought in. That's the church, isn't it? The people were brought here. And through the help of Hebron, uh, great things happened. It was hard work for us. It was hard work for the church. But, you know, we managed to get them in. And we always had to remind ourselves these people are not from here. They can enjoy the nice houses and the nice food and the good jobs and the good salaries. But their hearts are still over there. They belong to Ukraine. And one day, hopefully very soon, we can get them home again. Some of them, the ones that want to return, that we can get them back to Ukraine where they should be. Maybe the Lord wants them here for a short time to minister to the unbelievers who are coming here from Ukraine. So we'll wait and see. We're very open to the Lord's leading and his guidance. So this, this is a little book Pastor Victor Maxwell uh, put together for us. It's testimony and a little bit of the work of the mission. It's the Lord's Day. We don't sell them. There's five there, so just help yourself if, if you want to read anything about the, the, the work. I just want to read two verses to you from 1 John chapter 5. <clears throat> and th this is a verse, or two verses, that spoke very, very loudly to me. Uh, 28 years ago, when I came to faith in Christ, this was something that I didn't know anything about. And when I read it for the first time, and when I heard about this, I was amazed. And it transformed my life, and it gave me hope for a future. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. The word of God says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now listen to this, because this is something that I was never told before. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, I was brought up in, not far from Glasgow into a Roman Catholic family. And during those days, uh, my mother would send me along to all of the different things that would take place within the chapel. She would send me to the confessional box on a Saturday morning, and I would go in and confess my sins to the priest, he would then tell me to go in peace, that my sins were now forgiven. And that's one thing I, I never remember doing, was actually leaving with peace, knowing that my sins were actually forgiven. Uh, I didn't know because we didn't have a Bible. We were never encouraged to get a Bible or to read a Bible for ourselves. Maybe the priest would have read it to us now and again, but we were never encouraged to get a Bible or to read it. So I didn't know that the word of God said, who can forgive sins but God only? That no man has the right to listen to our confession and no man certainly has the power to say that your, that your sins are now forgiven. Only God can do this. When I sin against God, only God can forgive me. On a Sunday morning, she would send me along to, to the chapel I would go in and we'd go through the same routine that took place every week. Uh, I remember going to church or chapel before I would go to school. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, sometimes I would be sitting in the chapel praying to Mary with the rosary beads. And I remember asking one woman, 
there. Why do we pray more to Mary than to God? She says, because Mary loves us more than God. I says, right, okay. I didn't know then, I didn't know that the word of God says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends, and that God so loved the world. I didn't know anything about that. And you sort of took everything as the truth, as you were receiving it then. I remember leaving home at 18. There was alcohol problems within my family. And I wanted a way. And I left home just before my 18th birthday. I joined the army. And the army started off in Scotland with the army, ended up in Berlin. And part of that work was guarding Rudolf Hess, the, the deputy Führer of Adolf Hitler, uh, he was in Spandau Prison. He was the only prisoner in Spandau Prison. And we looked after him for a number of years. <clears throat> and then we were transferred to Northern Ireland. And I left the army here and joined the RUC. And for the next 18 years, I would look after Ulster's Führer, Mr. Paisley himself. So uh, for 18 years, I, I really got to know that the Doc and Eileen and all the family as they were growing up. I was now in the RUC, and for 18 of those 24 years, I would have worked alongside them. Uh, they didn't know, he didn't know at that point that there was a Roman Catholic guarding his life, protecting him. And when he found out, he had a right good laugh about it, so he did. And then when later on in life, when I got saved and uh, called into the ministry, they became great supporters of the Lord's work in Ukraine, and they still are right through until this day. So in those days, I was very far from God. I joined the police way back, married into a Christian family. I married my wife, who was the daughter of a believer, and his wife. The family were all believers except her. Let's just say it that way. So it was a real shock to this Christian family when our daughter married a drunken Roman Catholic Scotsman. Uh, it was a bit of a nightmare because I wasn't quiet in, in those days. Wild just out the army and quite wild. And, you know, it was hard for the family to accept me. And I don't blame them one bit. I, couldn't have ex- I, I wouldn't have accepted me if I had known me. And, you know, I was very far from God in those days. And I was in the police at those times. And the police just gave you more money, and more money gave you more alcohol, gave you your wife and family more problems. And then one day, <clears throat> this young man came into the station, the police station, and he just told everybody in the station immediately, I'm a born-again Christian. And every, I remember everybody laughing at him. And I laughed at him that day. And when the laughing stopped, I thought, what is a born-again Christian? Because as a Roman Catholic, I would have never used phrases such as being born again or saved or anything like that. But he became a very good friend of mine. He lived two minutes from me. So we would travel back and forward to work every day. And he would be telling me about his Savior. He was really different from all the policemen that I had met. Really different. You know, and he would be telling me all about his Savior. I'd be telling him about, well, the priest told me this and the priest told me that. And he would say, no, he said, but the Bible says this. He said, we must listen to what the Bible says. Two and a half years later, I was still working with him. Now, when he came to us at the beginning, he had, he had applied to move from the, the, the RUC to the prison service. 
And in those days, it only took three or four months to transfer to the next one. Two and a half years later, he was still there. And I remember working with him this day. He wasn't talking to me. He'd fallen out with me. I think I'd said something to him or whatever I did on him. He wasn't talking to me. And I remember as, as we sat in the quiet, there were just the two of us. The Holy Spirit reminded me of what he was. He was a born-again Christian. And I said, you called yourself a born-again Christian. What do you mean? What does that actually mean to be a born-again Christian? And he said, are you serious? Do you really want to know? I said, I do. And he stood up and he said, first of all, do you believe that you're a sinner? And I said, yes, I know that I'm a sinner. And friends, I want to ask you the same questions that he asked me. Do you realize that you're a sinner? Because if you don't realize that you're a sinner, you can never be saved. You must realize that you're a sinner and you must come to God confessing those sins. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I said, yes. I said, I know that I'm a sinner. He says, secondly, do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, suffered and shed his blood and died for your sins? I said, yes, I do believe that. Friends, I'm asking you that same question. Do you believe that it was the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, who suffered who shed his blood, and who died for your sins. Do you believe that? Because if you don't believe that, you can't be saved either. I said, yes, I do believe that. He said, thirdly, do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead on the third day? I said, I do believe that. But you know, I only believed it with my head. The devil believes that too, doesn't he? But we're not going to find him in heaven. I never believed it with my heart so much so that the Lord could change me and save me. It was a head knowledge I had. And I said, yes, I do believe he rose from the dead. Friends, do you believe that? Because if you don't believe that he rose from the dead, you still can't be saved. We must come to God believing that we are sinners, knowing and believing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, suffered, shed his blood, and died for our sin. And that he rose from the dead on the third day. And the word of God says, if we believe that, we can be saved. I said, I believe all of that. I got away from him about three hours later. I didn't know what was going on in my life at that day. I was being really torn into under strong conviction that God was speaking to me that day about the sin that was in my life, about the terrible lifestyle that I had. I left him, I got into the police car, went into Belfast. I stepped out of the car in Belfast and this man appeared in front of me and he said, son, have you been born again? And I couldn't believe it. I said, yes, I have. And then I said, no, I haven't. He said, you must be born again. And away he went. God kept me under very strong conviction that day. I went home that night and my friend who had been talking to me gave me a little booklet. It just talked about sin, the Savior, and salvation. I sat at home. Jacqueline was in the hospital at that time. The kids were playing in the garden. And I opened this little booklet and it talked about sin. And you know something? I knew I was a sinner. We had been told often enough that we were sinners. We had to go to confessions. But here we were being told that there was only one who could forgive our sin. It was only God could forgive our sin. It talked about the Savior, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. 
They talked about salvation, telling us that there's no salvation outside of Christ. I was brought up to believe there was no salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church. But all of a sudden I was being told Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man can come to the Father except through him. You can imagine the turmoil I was in as I sat there with all of this going on in here and reading the truth because it was all backed up with the word of God. And as I sat there reading this, I knew that I wanted to be saved. I just knew that God had to come in and change my life and give me this life that I had seen in my friend, this life that I had seen in the Paisley family for all those years. I now wanted this life. And I came to the end of that little booklet. It said, if you want to be saved, if you want to be born again, pray this little prayer. And you know something, I'm ashamed to tell you that I didn't know how to pray. I had never prayed before. 38 years of age, I had only prayed through using rosary beads, talking to Mary. I had never come sincerely to God before, asking him for his help. And I prayed that little prayer, but I prayed it from my heart. I wanted to be saved. I wanted to know God. And I went into the kitchen. I poured all of the alcohol down the sink. I said, Lord, I says, I don't know who you are but I'm willing to trust you that you'll save me and change my life. I went into the work the next morning, into the police station, told everybody that I was born again, and you can imagine the, the stick that you take in the police force. It was hard. It was very difficult to be a policeman in the RUC. It wasn't easy. I, I told my friend who went and bought me a Bible, I couldn't believe that I had a Bible in my hand. I didn't know that the Bible was, in fact, the Word of God himself. I didn't even know that. I'd never read one before. I only heard the gospel once through my friend that day in the police station. I opened the Bible, and I have to say that I fell in love with it right away. I read from Genesis to Revelation in three weeks, understood nothing. So I went and did it again and again, still understood nothing. I ended up reading it for 17 hours a day for the next six years. I couldn't stop reading the Bible. I said, who is this God? Why would he love somebody like me? Somebody that's given him nothing but trouble and sin. A horrible, stinking, sinful life. That's all I had. There was nothing good within me, and I knew that. And everybody else knew that. But now I had the word of God. I came to the end of that little booklet. I repented. I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and he went to work in my life. I was becoming a new creature. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. All the old things pass away, that everything becomes new. That's what was happening in my life. I I was now in Christ. I was no longer in the devil. He was no longer my father. God was my father now. And you know something? The transformation started immediately for me. And I know that it's not always like that for some people. But there had to be a change in me. And I, I told my wife, Jacqueline, I says, Jacqueline, she said, no, she says to me, she said, you're acting awful strange. I said, why? She said, you don't drink anymore. She said, it's great, but you you don't do this, that, and the other. I said, I'm a Christian now. 
And she phoned her sister and said, he's acting really strange. He's got a Bible in his hand. He's acting really strange. And she laughed and says, praise the Lord for that. She didn't believe me because I'd told her that many lies over the years. She wasn't going to believe me that easily. And I think she believed me for the first time. Sunday was coming. The first Sunday of being a Christian was coming. And I said, I'm going to buy a suit. She says, why? I said, well, Christians wear nice suits to church. I said, I'm going to go and get myself a, a suit. And I think she believed me then because she knew a Scotsman wouldn't part with money that easy. So I went and bought myself a suit and I went along to the only church I knew in, in Newton Ards. And that was because it was a Methodist church. And that was because Jacqueline sent the, the girls to the Sunday school there. And that, he was the only minister I knew. And he, 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 I actually met him in my house one time. And I had drink in me, and I came into the house, and he said, you're a bad father. He said, you don't bring your children up to know God. And I threw him out the house. I said, don't come back. So this was the only minister I knew. It wasn't a great start to my Christian life, was it? I went along to the, the church that Sunday morning with my new Bible and my new suit on, and he saw me coming, and the look of horror on his face. He said, what are you doing here? I said, the Lord has saved me. He said, praise the Lord. So he invited me in, and for a few weeks I sat there until the Lord uh, sent me to where he wanted me. God was moving in my life. Jacqueline came to faith three weeks after me. My daughter got saved a few weeks after that. The, the, my whole life had changed dramatically. You know something? I had been caught up in a tradition for all those years. Wasn't taking me anywhere. Didn't know where I was going didn't know if I was saved, didn't know if I was lost, didn't know if I was going to hell, didn't know if I was going to heaven, probably thought I was going to limbo, which was on the go at that time, or purgatory. So I knew nothing, totally confused by the whole setup that I came from. And I'm not ridiculing the people who go there because I love them, and I have many very good Roman Catholic friends and family, but I feel sorry for them because they're caught in this tradition. They're caught in all this lie and all these deceitful doctrines that they, that they tell them about. But you know, the Lord will deal with that. I was now saved. Jacqueline was now saved. The Lord reminded me, you have a mother and a family in Scotland who are still caught up in this system. And I went over, sadly, it was for my grandmother's funeral. And... <clears throat> It was very difficult. I was a new believer. It was only saved a matter of months. And we went over for the, for the funeral. It meant going into the chapel again. And I went into the chapel, and Jacqueline said, what do we do? She said, I've never been in a place like this. What do I do? I said, you do what I do. I said, we're here to pay our last respects to my grandmother. I said, we'll not be praising Mary. We'll not be kneeling down and praying to her. We'll not be taking part in the service, but we'll pay our respects to my grandmother and leave. So at the end of it, my father came to me and he said, you've brought shame upon the family. Go away and never return here. And I, I, I thought, is this the price that you, that you pay for being a Christian? That your mother and father won't even be happy to see the change in your life? that they would rather put you out of the house than let you follow Christ seriously. And I remember leaving there that day so down and disappointed that my family wanted nothing to do with me anymore. 
But you know something? That was a time when the Lord really drew very, very close to us. And he said, when your father and mother forsake you, then I will take you up. And you know something? It was, there were precious, precious times. And my father said, when somebody's dying, we'll contact you. So then I got the contact that my mother was dying. She had cancer. <clears throat> my mother was a very good woman. She was a, a very extremely devout Roman Catholic lady, very good woman, and she did her work in the chapel six days a week there all the time, working in the shop or cleaning the chapel, very devout. She went to all the shrines throughout the world following Mary, worshipping Mary, and she was so devoted to everything that she was involved in within that system. But now I was getting a call to go and see her that she was dying. And I remember going into the family home and nobody would speak to me. I went into the bedroom. I had five minutes on my own with my mother. They allowed me five minutes. And I remember just praying. I was only saved. I didn't know how to pray. But I said, Father, I says, please don't let my mother die like this in front of my eyes and go to hell. I said, please give her another opportunity to hear the gospel. I says, don't let her die like this. And five minutes later, she opened her eyes. She was struggling for breath at this point, but she opened her eyes and I propped her up in the pillow. And she says, Donald, I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior. My mother, she heard the gospel before they outlawed me to the family. I was able to talk to her again as she lay in bed. <clears throat> she repented. She came to the savior that day. And that's why I can stand here tonight totally unashamedly and say I love Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. I love him with all my heart and soul and body and mind and strength. I love him with everything that I have. He saved me from a terrible background. He, he saved me from a sinful life. <clears throat> and he saved my mother upon her deathbed. You know something? As, as I thought about that, my mind went back to that scene many, many times. And I thought, why, what went, what was it about that moment compared to all the other times that I spoke to her, that other people talked to her? What was so special about that moment in her life and in my life? And this is the only thing that I can come up with. For years, she had followed that tradition. She gave them everything. She worked hard for them. And upon this moment of her illness when she was passing away into eternity, she must have thought, where are they all now? Where are they when I need them? There's nobody here. Where are they? Where's the priest? Where's the Pope that I have followed and worshipped? Where's Mary that I have visited her shrines throughout this world? Where is she? When I need her most, where is she? She wasn't there. Neither was anybody else. And this is what I came up with that day. I believe that this is where she got to as she slipped away. Where are they all? What do I do now? There's nobody even here to care that I'm dying. 
But then I believe that the Holy Spirit reminded her because I told her, Jesus is all you need. Just believe in him. I believe that the Holy Spirit reminded her that Jesus Christ was all that she needed as long as she believed in him. And she says, Donald, I've accepted Jesus. I believe that he's my Savior. He died for me. And what a blessing it was that night to hear my mother coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. She lasted for about another 10 days after that, whereby I had the opportunity for the first time ever to open a Bible in my house, to sit and do a reading with her. I remember the night that she was passing away. My sister said, Mom, do you want me to get the priest? There was a terrible relationship in our house with the priest. He was like a god in our house. He demanded that I get beat, and I got beat through his word. And this is the unhealthy relationship that my family had with a priest, where I would get beaten at his command. She says, do you want me to get the priest? She says, I don't need him anymore. Brothers and sisters, we know why she didn't need him anymore. She now had a great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. She passed into eternity not too long after that. I never had a relationship with my mother here, but we'll see it again. And that's the hope that I have. And that's the hope that the Bible gives me, God's word. I never got any hope through the tradition or through any Protestant churches or through any missionary organizations. But the word of God gives me this hope. Friends, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're in this same situation where you've been told that Jesus Christ is all you need in your life to get to heaven. But you're, you're, you're trusting in so many other things, just like my mother was. Maybe you're trusting in a, maybe a, a, a tradition just like that. Maybe it's a Protestant tradition. Maybe it's a Roman Catholic tradition. Maybe you're caught up in the middle of that, like my family was and still are. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're caught up in this. And you, you think, you know, it's okay, the priest said it. If the word of God doesn't say it, don't believe it. That's all I can say to you. If, the, if it's not in here, take nothing to do with it. Because I believed it and my family believed it and we were lost. Our lives were coming to an end. But the moment that I did what the Bible said, my life changed and it changed dramatically and it changed for the better. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're trying to work all of this out like I used to do. You're trying to figure out if only I do more works in the chapel or in the church. Maybe I'll get to heaven that way. Or maybe if I go on a couple of pilgrimages like my mother used to do, that's going to gain me favor with God. My mother had no hope right till the end. After all that she had been through, there was nothing there. But the moment that she believed in Jesus Christ, everything changed. You know something? There was one question. I met the priest after I was saved. And I was in the RUC. It was over here. I met him one day. He was in the police station. And every so often, the priests and the ministers would come in to teach some RE different scenarios if you were caught up in one as a policeman this is how to deal with it if you're talking to a protestant or you're talking to a catholic this is how you deal with it 
And the way out, I only had one question for him. I said, could you tell me how I could get to heaven? And he looked at me, shocked. He said, this is for police questions. I said, I don't want a police question. My mother's being taught all of this stuff that you're teaching. I said, I want to know one thing. How can I get to heaven? And his face went scarlet. He said, if you just go home and pray. He said, that'll do. I said, that's it. I said, we don't need faith or anything like that. He said, well, yeah, you need to have faith. He didn't know what he was talking about. I says, I want to know how to get to heaven. I'm asking you a serious question. There's nothing more serious than that. How can I get to heaven? He said, you can't. Nobody can know. He said, you'll maybe go to purgatory for this and for that, and they'll cleanse you and so on. Nobody can know that they're going to heaven. Dear friends, this is why I said to you, believe what's in the word of God because it's truth. Listen to what the Bible says about that. Yes, the traditions of the world will tell you this, that, and the other, but listen to what God himself tells you. We read it. Look at verse 12 again. John said, He that have the Son hath life. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Do you have the Son of God in your life? Has he changed your life? Do you love the Word of God? Do you love going to the prayer meeting? Do you love going to the Bible study? Do you love to serve him? That's what it means to have the Son of God. Your life will change and it will change for the better. You'll love the things that you once had no time for. He that have the Son hath life. If you have the Son of God in your life tonight, your life has changed. If you say that you have the Son of God in your life and your life hasn't changed, I don't believe you. Because the Word of God tells us that when any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. <clears throat> he that hath the Son hath life. Listen to what he goes on to say. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you're here tonight and you've repented of your sin and you've turned and walked away from the old life, you've taken up your cross and you're following hard after Christ, you have the Son of God in your life. If you've never repented of your sin, if you've never told God that you're sorry for your sin, if you're not following after the things that God wants you to follow, then the word of God is very clear. You don't have the Son of God in your life, and because of that, you're lost. You're lost in your sin. And one day you'll stand before the great white judgment seat of Christ, where you'll be judged for your sin and cast into the lake of fire. You'll spend eternity with the devil and his angels. That's for those who do not have the Son of God in their life. If you have the Son, you have life, eternal life in heaven with the Savior. But if you don't have life, if you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. You're destined to a lost eternity with the devil and his angels. Now, the priest told me nobody can know that they're going to heaven. Look at verse 13. John said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Why? That ye may know 
that ye have eternal life. Now can you see the lies that I have been told for years and millions and millions of other good, innocent, decent people. They're not being told the truth. I wasn't told the truth. You can't know that you're going to heaven. Yes, we can. And here it is here. If we will believe in the name of the Son of God, we may know that we have eternal life abiding in us. Dear friend, you can walk out of this building tonight knowing that you're saved. We don't have to listen to all the old things that we've been told. Listen to what the Word of God is telling us. We, if we believe in the name of the Son of God, think back to what I said at the start. It's simple. God has made it so easy to be saved. He's made it so easy to get to heaven. If we just acknowledge that we're a sinner, if we'll just believe in our heart it was the Son of God who died on the cross, not somebody else, like the Muslims will try to tell us, but it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for our sins, and that he rose from the dead. And the Word of God tells us if we believe that, we can be saved. And if we do believe that and get saved, then we can walk out that door tonight knowing there's no limbo for me, there's no purgatory for me, there's no annihilation for me or anything else. There's eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ for all who will believe on his name. Dear friends, we can walk out that door tonight knowing our sins are forgiven that we have peace with God, that we've been reconciled to God, and that we're on our way to glory. Would you not take that opportunity? Please listen to somebody who tasted the, the bad life through the army, through a long time in the police, and all that went with it. I know what I'm talking about here when I've experienced both of these lives. There's nothing there for you. It wants to destroy you and your family. That's what that, that's what that life is going to do for you if you're sitting here tonight and you're not saved. You know what I'm talking about. The devil will tell you all sorts of lies. Just believe in your tradition. Just follow Mary. Just follow the pastor. That's a good mission to follow him. Don't listen to him. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way. And if we will come to him tonight believing in him, that it was him who died and rose again, the word of God says we can be saved tonight. Friends, I'm going to say it just once more. You can walk out that door tonight. You can wake up tomorrow morning and go to work knowing that you're a child of God, knowing that you're on your way to glory and that no matter what else happens in your life, you're saved and he'll change your life and he'll change it for the better. May God bless you if you're not saved. May God take you tonight and help you to trust in Christ. He's longing to change your life. He's longing to give you this new life. But you can only have it when you have the Son. May God help you. May God bless you. Thank you so much for your attention. Please continue to pray for Ukraine tonight. Speak to us at the door. Speak to the pastor at the door. But friends, please... Don't walk out there again unsaved. 
That place is going to destroy you and your family. Come to Christ tonight. Let God change you and your family. And who knows what he can do with you. May God bless you. Thank you. We do thank uh, our brother for the word of testimony to our hearts. And we do reiterate what our brother has said. And we rejoice that there is life, everlasting life in the Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life, not any ritual or anything else. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that we want in our lives and in our hearts. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And that's what the Word of God plainly states. So we'd love to point you to the Savior tonight. We'd love to show you from the Word of God how you can know that you're on your way to heaven. Don't go away without the Savior tonight. Trust him as your Savior. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. We'll have a hymn, but let's just ask the Lord to bless the testimony that we've just heard. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for the word that we have already heard tonight. We thank thee for the scriptures that our brother has brought to our mind. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. And we recognize that there is that division that is taking place between men and women. We recognize that there is the road that leads to life, and there is the broad way that leads to destruction. And our Father, we pray that each one of us might know that we have eternal life, that we might know the Son of God, and that we might know his salvation in our hearts. O God, we thank thee for saving thy servant. We thank thee for bringing him to that realization of his sins forgiven. We thank thee for the transformation that takes place when a sinner comes to Christ. And our Father, we pray that thou wast work in every heart and bless thy word to every soul, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn before we come. There is a cup of tea, so don't be going away tonight without uh, the cup of tea, but wait behind. Speak to us, as our brother has said, when you're going for the meeting, or wait behind and have a wee word. But we'd love to uh, answer your questions, if you have questions, or just to help you know what it is to be saved by the grace of God. But don't go away without the Savior tonight. Hymn 260, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. The hymn 260, and we'll sing the first and the last verses of the hymn, and we'll stand as we sing.
our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee that thou dost turn death into life everlasting. We thank thee that we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus, look away from the world, look away from tradition, look away from everything that we are depending upon, and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God, we don't want people to look to us or look to the uh, church that we're in. We don't want people to look uh, to their friends or their loved ones or the people that they know that are saved. But Lord, we want them to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And O oh God, we pray that men and women might turn to thee tonight. Forget everything else that cannot save, cannot give life, cannot give satisfaction. And Lord, that they might look to thee, whom to know is life eternal. Part us with thy fear and with thy blessing. Take of our thanks for the good things that have been prepared for us. May we eat and drink to thy glory and be with us even in the time of fellowship together. And, O oh God, we pray that thy word would speak on in hearts, for it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen.